stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour along the Chorus Radio Network. Rob Breckenridge with you on this Monday morning. And uh, plenty more still to get to on the program, including more time for your phone calls. But uh, I wanted to get to this next conversation. And, and this, to me, is, is quite fascinating. When we think about um, recent history or Cold War history, 1983 doesn't necessarily jump out. But it was almost, well, in a couple of respects, actually, uh, a very eventful and perhaps even a very destructive year. Maybe we, we uh, know about the uh, false alarm that occurred in uh, 19. 1983, and Stanislav Petrov, who may have up, uh, ended up sa- saving the world by recognizing that four missiles were not incoming. Then a few months later, the world came close yet again to nuclear war, to World War III. Abel Archer was a NATO military exercise in November of 1983, and that's all it was. But the Soviets read it much differently, and some newly released documents show just how intent the Soviets were on responding to what they thought was an actual NATO invasion. As the Washington Post describes it, the Soviet Union put fighter bombers loaded with nuclear bombs on 24-hour alert in East Germany. The alert included preparations for the immediate use of nuclear weapons. We came awfully close to war. As we now know, joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program Tom Nichols. He's a professor of national security mm-hmm. affairs at the U.S. Naval War College, the author, author of several books. His most recent, uh, The Death of Expertise. Um, Tom, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Rob. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, look, you, you know this history very well, and I'm, I'm, you've certainly written a lot about, talked a lot about what happened with Abel Archer in, in 1983, but were even you surprised by some of what emerged this week and, and just how close we actually came to war then? No, actually, um, I, I think it's confirming what we were worried about um, all along. Um, I don't think we were on the actual, you know, moment of decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's important to point out that, you know, the Soviets by that point were um, pretty, had pretty much convinced themselves that war was inevitable. And when a major power believes that war is inevitable, they look for the moment where they think it's going to start. Um, you know, you mentioned 1983 not being a year that jumps out at people, but it, it should. I mean, 1983, I would argue that 1983 was probably the most dangerous year of the Cold War uh, since 1962, since at least the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, because all year, um, you know, we'd had the shoot down, the, the Soviet Union shot down a 747, a South Korean airliner. Uh, the United States overthrew a Marxist uh, dictatorship in Grenada. Um, the the uh, President Reagan, the American president, gave a speech about the evil empire. The United States announced the beginning of the Strategic Defense Initiative, the Star Wars program. Um, it was a tough year, and by the time November rolled around, um, there were you know the Soviets were pretty much convinced that it was going to be go time, and they had convinced themselves that it would happen during exercises, which is what happened during Abel Archer. And that's why uh, I think it's kind of scary to look back at this now. And by the way, and it was also the year we had the the false alarm incident uh, that that right. was you know could have happened at any time. But I guess in the context of all of this, it's pretty interesting that that it happened to occur that year, isn't it? Yeah, and it happened I think because the um, the superpowers were really on 
um, you know, the edge of their seats. Now, we had had similar mistakes. In, in 1979, um, the, um, the Air Force woke up President Carter's national security advisor and said, we're going to call you back in 10 minutes to let you know if you need to wake up the president and launch a full nuclear retaliatory strike against the Soviet Union. And that happened because somebody put a training tape into the computer um, in the middle of the night and, and didn't realize what they were looking at. Um, so those moments <clears throat> happen. The, the danger is when they take place in an atmosphere where everybody's expecting war. And that's where we were by late 1983. We, we were really, I mean, I was a young man at the time and I fully expected that World War III was just a matter of when rather than if. So let's get back to Abel Archer. So it was a military exercise, and obviously in the Cold War, military exercises were, were common on, on both sides. Uh, but what was it about Abel Archer that, that had the Soviets convinced that it was a, a backdrop for, for something else, something real? That's, that's a great question. Um, you know, you're absolutely right that both sides conduct exercises. They do it to maintain their readiness, um, to keep everybody on their toes, make sure they know what they're doing. Abel Archer was specifically a war game, and it was meant to test communications between the United States and its NATO allies, specifically about the release of nuclear weapons. And so the, the exercise got to a point, even though all of the communications had exercise, exercise, exercise uh, written on them in a way that we knew the Soviets could decode, what we think happened is that the Soviets weren't believing it. And they said, you know, this is, they're calling it an exercise, but they really are getting ready to release nuclear weapons. And they're going to jump out from under this exercise and they're going to attack us um, with an onslaught of, of nuclear strikes and take us out that way. And, and that's the thing, I suppose, if, if we're ever going to end up in war, neither side was going to announce that, right? That's not how it was going to work. So the idea that uh, there would be some kind of a sneak attack or there would be some kind of cover for a sneak attack, I suppose both sides viewed that as, as plausible, didn't they? Well, but, you know, we did in the 1950s. Um, we used to plan for something. I mean, I suppose it's not funny now, but we used to plan for something called a boob attack, which was short for bolt out of the blue. Um, you know, the boob attack was that, you know, one morning we woke up and there was this cloud of Soviet nuclear bombers coming over the Canadian Arctic to make their way down to the United States and annihilate, you know, Syracuse or something. Um, we, we worried less about that over time, except as the Cold War picked, heated up again. And, and it actually heated up again in the late Carter and early Reagan era together. Um, and so the Soviets had convinced themselves uh, that the only way the Americans would do this would be to do it by surprise. Because you have to remember, we were horrendously outnumbered by the Soviet Union in Europe and in NATO. I mean, the one thing they had right is that if we were going to beat them in a war, we were going to have to do it with nuclear weapons and we'd have to go first. Um, what we had all planned for was a crisis that evolves into a conventional fight that evolves into limited nuclear use that evolves into a global nuclear war. What was scary was that the Soviet Union, or at least some guys, some old guys in the Kremlin had convinced themselves that the Americans weren't gonna bother with staying on the defensive and that they were just gonna create this fake exercise 
and jump out from under it and attack the Soviet Union, which was, you know, purely crazy. Um, and wasn't even, you know, close to anything the Americans were planning. But it tells you something about where the where the Soviet Union's mind was uh, by the early 1980s as the, that system was coming apart. What's interesting here is that, look, obviously common sense prevailed, but it wasn't necessarily obvious or guaranteed that it would. And just as maybe the, the September false alarm had a hero, was there a hero here? This uh, Lieutenant General uh, Leonard uh, Perutz, I think his name is, right. uh, seems to, to loom large in avoiding war. Yeah, um, Perutz and a few others. There, there were some good decisions made going into Able Archer. One of them was to not involve, or even before the exercise began, <clears throat> it was to not involve any senior government leaders, because that that's um, pretty provocative. If you start moving the president or the secretary of defense around, even if it's in an exercise, um, you know you're making it a, you're making it pretty hard for your opponents to to figure out what it is you're doing. Is this real? Is it not real? Why is you know why is the secretary of defense um, you know shuttling back and forth between the Pentagon and the White House? Um, the other was General Perutz, who who said. Uh, when he was asked by his subordinates, you know, should we increase our readiness status? Because it looks like the Soviet Union is increasing their readiness status. Um, Perutz was the guy who said, no, 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 you know, um, stay cool, be calm, don't, don't do that. Um, because I think at that point, the, the real danger is that if we had increased our readiness status, the Soviets would have said, aha, there they go. Um, you know, we knew all along, you know, even though what really is happening is this kind of terrible um, dynamic of they increase their readiness, we increase ours, they go to the next step, we go to the next step, and pretty soon you have um, two countries at war that never wanted to get there. Did you get a sense that some lessons were, were learned from that, that it was recognized as a near miss and uh, that, that these kinds of exercises maybe maybe unfolded differently in the aftermath of that? I, I wish I could say yes to that. Um, I, you know, and this is a good place to remind everybody I don't speak for the US government. Right. Um, you know, the CIA kind of argued for years within itself. And, you know, part of the problem with any intelligence failure like this is that you don't want to call it an intelligence failure because then somebody has to be to blame for it. Um, to his credit, Reagan's CIA director, um, early on, even though um, Casey was um, pretty much of a cowboy in a lot of ways, um, he took it seriously, went to Reagan within, I think within six months, he went to Reagan and said, you know, uh, they really got scared by this. And Reagan, by the way, and this is a kind of an unknown piece of American history, Reagan had already decided by uh, early uh, to mid-83 that things had gone too far and that he needed to somehow turn this off, that he needed to to stop this kind of march to war that the two superpowers seem to be on. Um, but um, whether the rest of the American bureaucracy learned a lesson, they're still arguing about it. Well, you know, was it really that serious? Were they really, were they just signaling? Were they, um, did they mean it? Um, I think, you know, this is a good case study in what happens when you, when your opponent takes you very seriously, perhaps more seriously than you wanted them to. Um, I, at the time, <clears throat> I supported the Reagan administration's approach to the Soviet Union, but I think historically I'm forced to conclude that we overdid it, that, you know, we, we scared them 
too successfully and, and they were already a paranoid regime and we should have been more aware of that. Well, as you say, it was a pivotal year, uh, as it turns out, in Cold War history, and almost 40 years later, we're still learning more about it. Uh, Professor Tom Nichols, appreciate your expertise uh, on all of this, and thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. All right. All the best. Uh, that is uh, Tom Nichols, Professor of National Security Affairs, U.S. Naval War College, author of several books. His most recent, The Death of Expertise, The Campaign Against Established Knowledge and Why It Matters. Uh, but someone has written, uh, written extensively about Cold War history, and this was a really important chapter. And here we are, 38 years later, learning more about just how close the world came to war back in 1983. And as Tom Nichols pointed out, a lot that led up to that. So maybe we don't think of 1983 as a historically significant, but it really was. We need to take a break here. Plenty more to get to on the Monday edition of the program here. Rob Breckenridge filling in. We're back with more right after this. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge filling in today and uh, for the next couple of weeks. Filling in for whom? Well, stay tuned. Let's get to the phones. In the meantime, here's some time for your calls in Calgary. The number is 403-974-8255 in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. This is Derek. Derek, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Hey, Derek. Pretty good. That's good. Uh, so I am a worker in the restaurant industry, and the restaurant mm -hmm. I work at has an open concept kitchen, which basically means that I'm interacting with the customers all the time. Oh. So... The thing that I kind of wonder about is why, when I'm at increased risk for COVID because of that, am I not receiving any kind of benefits? For the critical worker benefit, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, look, um, I mean, it's, it's a fair question. Because mm -hmm. any, anyone, really, who is at increased risk should be able to receive some kind of benefit, whether it's the critical worker benefit or whatever. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I couldn't really argue against that. I mean, as you heard the, you know, the, the labor minister say that they, you know, they had to make a decision. They had to draw some lines somewhere. Some people are going to get left out. And I think they realized yeah. that was going to be uh, inevitable in all of this. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you take it on, on face value that this is kind of the idea here uh, for, for individuals who are in those kinds of jobs, then it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to reconcile that. I would concede that point. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Derek, appreciate that. Yeah, look, you know, it was inevitable that you'd have some people unhappy or frustrated with all of that. Let's get back to the phones, though. This is Steve. Hey there, Steve. Stop calling Rob the guest host. Let's make That's this permanent, people. Call <laughs> this. Okay, never mind. So, um, nature can cause a nuclear incident. When the Japanese earthquake hit, or tsunami hit Japan, their radar went completely down. And the USS Ronald Reagan, who does nothing but babysit North Korea all day, uh, thought, whoa, what just happened? And they went on a war footing within five minutes. And what happened is, is they immediately uh, notified the president and the vice president. They started taking to secure locations. And it wasn't until a bit later that the National Oceanic um, Atmospheric, whatever they're called, uh, released a statement. And then everybody started to calm down. But they still had another problem where there were 3,000 inbound flights to Japan. And they had no radar. So the USS Ronald Reagan uh, became a de facto air traffic control. And um, they also started diverting AWAC planes, which is 
people can look that up if they want to. But uh, the bottom line is uh, they didn't know what happened. And if you had the wrong commander running the show and thinking, whoa, did the Chinese or the North Koreans have something going on, mm-hmm. uh, it could have ended badly. But then after that, uh, and you only learn through uh, surreptitiously that now the National Oceanic people have a direct line to the Pentagon and the White House. So this kind of problem doesn't happen again. Well, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point, Steve. Appreciate the phone call. We're up against the bottom of the hour here. Plenty more still to get to on the Monday edition of the program here. Rob Breckenridge filling in. You're listening to the Chorus Radio Network. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.